I trust him so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because he is Almighty God. He is willing to do this because he is a faithful father. And now as we prepare to hear God's word, let us pray the blessing of his Holy Spirit upon us. Let us pray as we sing. Fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Indeed, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, Romans 8, beginning at verse 26. It is written, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever To his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. This is part one of a two or three (laughs) part uh, sermon on uh, this passage. Uh, But today we're focusing only on verse 28. And we know 
that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 may be one of your favorite memory verses. I hope that it is. John Stott comments that Romans 8.28 is surely one of the best-known texts in the Bible. On it, he writes, Believers of every age and place have stayed their minds. It has been likened to a pillow on which to rest our weary heads. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But like most of our favorite memory verses, Romans 8.28 occurs in a larger context. And the larger context here is really the entire 8th chapter of Romans, and we might say the entirety of the letter to the Romans up until this point. And it is this larger context which really defines and clarifies the true meaning of this verse. But if we overlook the larger context then we may misinterpret the promise that this verse gives to us. Now, for example, there was a time in my life when I thought that Romans 8.28 could be paraphrased, translated in my own words to mean, all things will work together to make everything work out just the way I want them to. Right? In other words, we could misunderstand Romans 8.28 to mean that since I'm a Christian, hey, everything is peaches and cream. I'll just name it and claim it. Well, of course, that's a bit of an over-exaggeration to make the point, but I hope that you do see the point. Romans 8.28 is not about everything working out just the way we want it to. Romans 8.28 is not about our earthly comfort and our personal convenience. It's not about looking on the bright side. We're finding the silver lining in a dark cloud in a generally optimistic way because some of, sometimes, as some of you know, there is no bright side on this side of heaven. So... To understand this great promise of God, we must understand it in its larger context in Romans 8, which begins, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it concludes at verse 39, there is no separation from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in the middle, in between no condemnation and no separation is the great doctrine of our adoption as the children of God. Heirs of God and heirs together with Christ. The overarching theme of Romans 8 is the unshakable assurance and security of our eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ as the adopted children of God, the justified and adopted children of God who will be glorified together with Christ. This unshakable assurance is given to believers as we live now In this fallen world, which as we have read from the preceding passages in Romans 8, you've got to get the whole context. It's a world of suffering, a world that has been, quote, subjected to futility because of Adam's sin. It is a world cursed with thorns and thistles and fraught with frustrations. It is a world that is, quote, in bondage to corruption, that is inevitable decay and death. 
And it is in this very realistic context of this fallen world that Romans 8.18 says, you remember, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now that verse, your other memory verse, remember, Romans 8.18, lays the groundwork and it prepares us to understand the main point of Romans 8.28. It all flows together. Romans 8.28 is another word of assurance spoken to us in the context of this fallen world of suffering. And in the context of this fallen world of suffering, there is so much that we do not know. We don't know why. We don't know how we're going to carry on. The scripture says in the preceding passage, we we don't even know in, in the midst of our suffering, we don't even know what to pray for as we ought. But there is something that we do know. We know, says the scripture, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. How do we know? We know because we know God's attributes and God's character. The creator of heaven and earth is absolutely sovereign over all things and he is righteous in all his ways. He is full of goodness and abounding in steadfast love. We know from the scripture, we know that goodness and power are of the very essence of God's character as seen in his work of creation when by the power, the power of his word, he created all things and he created all things very good. And we know it from his dealings with his old covenant people. We we know it. that, That even when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, God was working for their good. We know that when they wandered in the wilderness and God was testing them, he was testing them in order to do them good, says the scripture. Do you remember the story of Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis? It's a great story. Read it this afternoon. Joseph was one of Jacob's 12 sons. You remember the one with the multicolored coat. He was thrown into a pit by his brothers, left for dead, then sold into slavery. He was taken down into Egypt, falsely accused, unjustly imprisoned, forgotten in prison for years. Finally, he rose to power in Egypt, second in command to Pharaoh. And when his guilty brothers fearfully appeared before him, seeking food to save them and their people from the famine, do you remember what Joseph said? Do not fear. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil against me. Say it with me. But God meant it for good. Even when the Lord brought judgment upon his people of Old Testament Judah, and a terrible judgment it was, the destruction of Jerusalem in the 6th century B.C., and sent them away into exile into Babylon. He spoke to them through the prophet Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for well-being, 
plans for good and not evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. Well, that's another kind of a memory verse that we like to put on a pretty piece of paper, but we need to remember that promise was spoken to exiles in Babylon who were suffering a terrible affliction. You see, the Old Testament reveals to us that God works for the good of his people, for the glory of his name to accomplish his eternal purposes. And Romans 8, 28 promises us that in Christ we are caught up in this great work of redemption. And therefore, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. The, The ESV, from which we read, puts that phrase, for those who love God, in the beginning of the sentence. And that accurately reflects the Greek text. That's how the Greek text is written. And it's in that forward placement as a matter of emphasis. And it makes it clear that Romans 8.28 is not a promise to all mankind in general. Now, in that regard, my sermon title, All Things Work Together for Good, could be dangerously misleading. Taken by itself, out of context, it sounds like vague optimism or positive thinking. But the phrase, for those who love God, limits and specifies this promise to apply only to those who love God, which is not the natural condition of man. The natural condition of man, as we have seen throughout Romans to this point, is to be, quote, hostile to God, an enemy of God, and once we were. This promise is given to those whose hearts have been changed. As Romans 5.5 says, into whose hearts God's love has been poured through the Holy Spirit. This promise is given to those who know that they have been reconciled to God by the death of His Son and who now rejoice in that reconciliation with a response of love for God. That's Romans 5, 10 and 11. This promise is given to those who now, by the redeeming work of Christ and the renewing work of the Holy Spirit, are enabled to, quote, fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, that's Romans 8, 4, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might to be the true children of God who love him. You see, this is tied into our adoption as God's children through his son, Jesus Christ. This promise is given to those who, with childlike love and trust, cry out to God in prayer, Abba, Father, dear Father, beloved Father, just as Jesus himself did. In other words, this great promise of Romans 8.28 is given to the spirit-born, adopted children of God who know the love of God the Father through his eternal Son, Jesus Christ. To those who know that God is great and God is good and God has shown his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us and therefore we love God Because he first loved us. And this great promise of Romans 8.28 is given to those who love God for comfort and strength and encouragement and hope in the midst of the sufferings of this present time.
It teaches us as Christians that though God does not spare his beloved children from suffering, he does promise and guarantee that our suffering is not in vain, our suffering is not random, our suffering is not meaningless, and that our suffering does not occur, nor does it leave us as victims of cruel fate. For those who love God, all things work together. You may have an English translation such as the New International Version or New American Standard Bible that supplies the word God as the subject of the word. God works all things together. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Now, that smooths out the Greek sentence, and it makes it clear that, of course, it is God, the all-sovereign creator and ruler of heaven and earth. It is God who is himself at work to ensure that all things work together for the good of his redeemed people. It's not simply that everything, you know, everything has a way of working out, as we might say. No, it's not simply that all things work together like a, a, a... a matter of fate like cogs in a wheel. No, this is a statement of the active and ongoing providence of God at work in this fallen world and at work in our personal lives. As a Heidelberg Catechism so beautifully and powerfully affirms, the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were by his hand, He upholds and governs heaven and earth and all creatures so that leaf and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Yes, all things come not by chance, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And as we read the preceding question and answer this morning, As an introduction to the scripture, whatever adversity he ordains for me in this sad world, he will turn to my good. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He is willing to do this because he is a faithful father. And so, brothers and sisters, all things means all things. The true Christian can be well assured (laughs) that there's nothing left out in God's plan. All things in his or her life, all things in your life, particularly the sufferings of this present time, whatever they may be, all things are are under the sovereign power and wisdom and goodness of God. And they are being put to work, so to speak. Put to work. Made to work under the direction of an all-loving, all-powerful, all-wise, all-sovereign God who will ensure that all things work together for your eternal good. All things means all things. The circumstances of your birth, decisions which were made for you in which you had no say and over which you had no control, even bad decisions which you did make, 
or socioeconomic political forces which influenced and shaped the direction of your life. One way or another, have you ever tried to rewrite the story of your life? Do you think you could do a better job than the eternal? That's not funny. Do you think you can do a better job than the eternal one? Sickness, disease, wars, disappointments, tragedies, none of it, none of it is beyond God's sovereign control. None of it is a surprise to God. And none of it confuses him. And none of it frustrates his plan. We may not know. We probably do not know. Why particular sufferings have come into our lives in this fallen world. Or how all things are working for our good. You don't have to know. But what you do know is that God sent his only begotten eternal son into the world as our brother of flesh and blood. So that through him we might become the adopted children of his father. And become a fellow heir with Christ, an heir of God and an heir of his everlasting kingdom. And live with that unshakable assurance that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. And know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. And now we see, do we not, that this word good does not refer primarily or ultimately to our personal conveniences and preferences in this life. It does not refer to our ease and comfort in this world. It does not refer to getting exactly what we want, the way we want it, when we want it in this world, or to anything else that might provide some temporary personal happiness in this world. Now, let me clarify. Because let me put that in a little bit of a balance, because God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And by his grace, we do enjoy good things in our personal lives in this fallen world. Every, every good thing comes from his hand. And God showers us with his blessings that bring us happiness in this world. God does us many favors every day. And he helps us with the little things every day. I'm, I'm, I'm pausing just because I'm thinking about, you know, the Lord is my shepherd and I really am a dumb sheep. And it's a good thing to know that the Lord is, helps me every day. He's good to us in that way. For our temporary happiness in this fallen world, he showers blessings upon us. My goodness. Let's look around and look at our own lives and note all the things for which we have to be thankful You know, God is good in that way every day. Also to unbelievers, to people who hate him or care nothing for him and never give thanks to him. God is good to them every day. 
So Romans 8.28 is a special promise. It's the promise of good beyond the common things of common grace in this world. For those who love God, all things work together for good, meaning primarily and ultimately our conformity to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that puts us back in the context because you can, you can read it in verse 29. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the good, that we should be made to be like Jesus Christ, that we should be glorified together with him that we should share in the infinite joy that we will eternally experience in the everlasting kingdom of God as the children of God, as the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate good. The ultimate good that could happen to us is that we would be restored to the joy of eternal fellowship with the eternal God in His everlasting kingdom. The the ultimate good that awaits us is that we will be completely conformed to the image of Christ and share as an heir of the glory of the kingdom of God. That's the good that God is working all things together for. In our eternal destiny. Now. We know that for those who love God. All things work together for good. To those who are called according to his purpose. Do you remember the story of Jesus? Born in adverse circumstances. Rejected and vehemently opposed throughout his ministry, falsely accused, unjustly condemned, brutally tortured, and cruelly crucified. We meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, as the scripture says, to bring many sons to glory. That's the goal. That was true in Jesus' life, wasn't it? God worked all things together for good, for our salvation. That was true in Jesus' life, and that was true about Jesus' life. And if we are in Christ by faith, then we know. We know that it is true in our life as well. Because God's word to us in Christ cannot fail. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word, which is truth and brings us comfort and peace, encouragement and strength. We pray, our Father, that your word would indeed renew our minds and renew our faith. with humble trust and the comfort of your spirit 
we might continue on this pilgrimage and love you, serve you, and glorify your name until we are received into glory. Through the mercies and merits of Christ our Savior. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history, throughout the world. So we say together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of 